Hey, it's Shannon Ballard. want to say a special thanks to the people who help make this independent podcast possible, my Southern Mysteries patrons. And thanks to my new patrons, Sherry from Smithville, Missouri, Patricia from Springfield, Louisiana, Christine from South Hadley, Massachusetts, and to Monique, Gus, and Barb, all listening and supporting the show from mysterious locations. When you join us on Patreon, you can hear ad-free episodes, the Southern Mysteries archive of more than 60 episodes, previously released bonus episodes for patrons, plus the new monthly patron-exclusive podcast, Audacious Tales of American Crime. Sign up now and start listening today at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. Virginia's Southern Literary Messenger was one of the most influential literary magazines in the South. Editor James Heath wrote in the first issue, the magazine was meant to serve as a kind of pioneer to spy out the land of literary promise in the South and report whether the same be fruitful or barren. The Southern Literary Messenger was, for a time, edited by Edgar Allan Poe, In 1835, Poe published the first installment of Politian in The Messenger. Politian was the only play ever written by Poe, who had been inspired by events in Frankfort, Kentucky, that made national headlines in 1825. The murder of Solomon Sharp by Jeroboam Beecham is known as the Kentucky Tragedy. It's a complicated story of seduction, politics, Love and Execution. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring the history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the story of the Kentucky Tragedy. The final resting place of Solomon Sharp is marked by a large marble stone in Frankfort Cemetery. The inscription reads, Solomon Sharp was assassinated while extending the hand of hospitality on the morning of November 7, 1825, in the 38th year of his age. What thou knowest not now, thou shalt know hereafter. Sharp is now known as a murder victim, a part of this tragic tale. But before his death, he was best known as a U.S. congressman. Solomon Sharp was born in Washington County, Virginia, in August of 1787. His family moved to the Tennessee frontier and on to southwestern Kentucky when Sharp was in his teens. He had no formal education, but self-trained as a lawyer. He was admitted to the bar by special act of legislature when he was 19 years old. Sharp was charming. He had a way of reasoning and an eloquence about him that made it clear politics would be a part of his story. In 1810, he was elected a member of the Kentucky Legislature for Warren County. He joined the state militia during the War of 1812. After the war, Sharp was elected to Congress for two successive terms, during which President Madison said of Sharp, He was the ablest man of his age who had represented the West. 
1818, Sharp was once again elected member of the Kentucky legislature, and soon after, he met and married Eliza Scott. Sharp's opponent for his bid for election to the Kentucky Senate in 1821 was John Upshaw Waring. Waring was known as a violent man who boasted that he had stabbed six men to death. Waring sent two letters to Sharp threatening his life and published an attack of Sharp's character, charging him with a seduction of a young woman. Knowing Waring to be violent and unpredictable, Sharp pulled out of the race and accepted an offer from Kentucky Governor John Adair for an appointment as Attorney General. The allegation of seduction would haunt Solomon Sharp and eventually lead to his murder. It was alleged Solomon Sharp seduced and impregnated Ann Cook, then a 30-year-old unmarried daughter of a wealthy planter. Ann's baby was stillborn around 1820. When Sharp was nominated for Attorney General of Kentucky, the Senate formed a select committee to examine the allegation of seduction. Four days after those hearings began, the charges were ruled unfounded. Ann Cook felt shamed and angered by Solomon Sharp's defense, in which he claimed he could not have been the father of Ann's baby because the baby was dark-skinned and therefore the result of Ann's relationship with a black man. Solomon Sharp's claims during the investigation into whether or not he was guilty of seduction brought to light some things Ann Cook and her family wanted to keep quiet. Ann's family once held a higher status in society. Her father had been a successful planner, but following his death in 1806, the family struggled to maintain their economic and social status. In time, the Cooks ran a boarding house and tavern where the behavior of some male customers would be called into question. Anne was said to be a woman without virtue or female chastity. She was described as a petite woman with olive skin, dark eyes, and hair, and a woman of poor dental hygiene. Following the allegations of her lack of chastity, Anne Cook spoke out. She claimed that in the spring of 1820, she was in a committed relationship with Solomon Sharp, who promised they would marry. She alleged Sharp took advantage of her to get what he wanted, which left her unmarried and pregnant. Sharp was already married, and his wife was pregnant with their first child around the time Ann Cook became pregnant. In the 1820s, it was common and expected that male members of a family defend the honor of their female family members whose virtue was questioned. Three of Anne's brothers were alive during the year in which she became pregnant, delivered a stillborn child, and was publicly shamed and ruined as a woman who lacked virtue. Many wondered why none of her brothers came forward to defend her. Ann Cook withdrew from all contact with society. She moved to her mother's home in Simpson County, Kentucky. Ann was 34 years old and vowed to live out her life in seclusion. 
That was until she met Jeroboam Beecham. Jeroboam was 19 years old. He studied law and once held Solomon Sharp in high esteem. His opinion changed when he read about the woman Sharp had wronged. When he learned Ann Cook moved into her mother's home, just a mile away from his father's house, he was determined to find a way to connect with Ann, who was understandably wary of strangers. After several attempts, Ann agreed to receive Jeroboam Beecham. They bonded over a love of reading. Their favorite books were romance novels. Jeroboam Beecham kept coming back to see Anne for weeks, and soon he had fallen in love. Within three months, Beecham asked Anne to marry him. She refused. Beecham continued to ask, and Anne continued to refuse. Until one day, when she offered Beecham a deal, a glimmer of hope that would cost a man his life. Ann Cook told Jeroboam Beecham that she would marry him if he avenged the wrong done to her by Solomon Sharp. Ann said Sharp had to die. In an effort to prove his love and devotion to Ann, the next day, Jeroboam Beecham began a four-day journey from Simpson County to Frankfurt to murder Solomon Sharp. Upon his arrival in Frankfurt, Beecham met Sharp and challenged him to a duel. But Sharp refused to fight. Things got physical when Beecham attacked Sharp, tried to force him to agree to the duel. But Sharp refused, which was rare. At this time, gentlemen usually felt compelled to agree when challenged to a duel because it was a challenge of honor. Not Solomon Sharp. He had supported an anti-dueling bill in the Kentucky Assembly. As Beecham roamed Frankfurt in search of the man he wanted to kill, Solomon Sharp left town. He returned to his family in Bowling Green. Beecham's Frankfurt plan failed, so he returned home to Ann Cook. The two plotted their next attempt on Sharp's life, and suggested they lure Sharp to her home, where she would be lying in wait to shoot him. But Jeroboam Beecham wanted to be the one who pulled the trigger. The couple agreed to wait a while before fulfilling their mission to kill Solomon Sharp. Beecham left Simpson County to finish his law study. He was admitted to the bar in April 1824. He returned home to Simpson County, and Ann Cook agreed to marry him, despite his failed attempt to kill Solomon Sharp. Jeroboam Beecham married Ann Cook in June 1824. She was 34, and he was 20. Once he married Ann, Jeroboam Beecham was determined to defend her honor. He once again tried to murder Solomon Sharp. He wrote letters to Sharp under different pseudonyms. Each asked for legal help and requested a meeting in Bowling Green to further discuss the matter. Solomon Sharp never replied to those letters. 
back in Frankfurt, Sharp was called up in the old court, new court controversy and had resigned as state attorney general to run for a seat in the Kentucky House of Representatives. The old court, new court controversy was a result of the Panic of 1819. This was the first widespread financial crisis in the United States, which slowed westward expansion in the Cotton Belt and continued to affect the American economy through 1821. In 1824, debtors who sought relief from their financial burdens after the panic were known as the New Courts, or Relief Faction. They were fighting creditors known as the Old Courts, or Anti-Relief Faction. Solomon Sharp sided with the New Court Faction, whose power was on the decline. Sharp felt his resignation as attorney general and run for the Kentucky House of Representatives would be just the power move needed to boost the new court's political influence. Sharp's opponent was old court supporter John Crittenden, whose close ally, John Upshaw Waring, once again raised the allegation of Sharp's seduction and abandonment of Anne Cook. Waring printed and distributed notices that said Sharp fathered Anne's child and then denied paternity and claimed the father of the child was one of Anne Cook's family slaves. Despite the reemergence of the seduction claim, Solomon Sharp won the election. The old court, new court controversy and the claim of Sharp's seduction of Anne was widely covered in newspapers and once again being publicly shamed, was too much to bear for Jeroboam Beecham. In November 1825, Beecham decided he would once again travel to Frankfurt to assassinate Solomon Sharp. Beecham felt if he moved quickly, the murder would be blamed on Sharp's old court political enemies. He figured the best way to do that would be to assassinate Sharp on the eve of the General Assembly's opening session. According to Beecham's own account of the murder of Solomon Sharp, he traveled to Frankfurt on November 6, 1825, rented a room in the home of the warden of the state prison, Mr. Joel Scott. Around 11 p.m., Scott heard a commotion in Beecham's room. When he went to check on his guest, he found the room empty. Beecham claimed he had left the room wearing a disguise. He made his way to an area near the Kentucky River to hide a set of clothes and then walked to Solomon Sharp's home. Sharp was not at home, but Beecham was determined to wait for him to carry out his assassination plan. Solomon Sharp returned home just after midnight. Jeroboam Beecham waited for a while, and around 2 a.m. on November 7, 1825, he walked up to Solomon Sharp's door. Beecham described the encounter, writing, I put on my mask, drew my dagger, and proceeded to the door. I knocked three times, loud and quick. Colonel Sharp said, Who's there? Covington, I replied. Quickly, Sharp's foot was heard upon the floor. 
I drew my mask over my face, and immediately Colonel Sharp opened the door. I advanced into the room, and with my left hand, I grasped his right wrist. The violence of the grasp made him spring back and try to disengage his wrist. He said, what Covington is this? I replied, John A. Covington. I don't know you, said Colonel Sharp. I know John W. Covington. Mrs. Sharp appeared at the door and then disappeared. Seeing her disappear, I said in a persuasive tone of voice, Come to the light, Colonel, and you will know me. And pulling him by the arm, he came readily to the door, and still holding his wrist with my left hand, I stripped my hat and handkerchief from over my forehead and looked into Sharp's face. He knew me the more readily I imagine by my long, bushy, curly suit of hair. He sprang back and exclaimed in a tone of horror and despair, Great God, it is him. And as he said that, he fell on his knees. I let go of his wrist and grabbed him by the throat, dashing him against the face of the door, and muttered in his face, Die, you villain. As I said that, I plunged the dagger into his heart. Jeroboam Beecham severed Solomon Sharp's aorta as Sharp's wife, Eliza, watched in horror from the top of the stairs in the house. Beecham fled, returned to the area he buried his regular clothes, and changed out of his disguise. He tied the disguise to a rock and threw it into the Kentucky River before he returned to his room at Mr. Scott's house. The next day, the Kentucky General Assembly authorized the governor to offer a $3,000 reward for information that led to the arrest and conviction of Solomon Sharp's assassin. Three men were immediately called out as suspects in Sharp's murder. John Upshaw Waring, Jeroboam Beecham, and Patrick Darby. Suspicion was cast on Darby because of remarks he made during Sharp's 1824 campaign. Darby said that if Sharp were elected, he would never take his seat and would be as good as a dead man. Waring had made similar threats, and everyone knew of his claim that he had stabbed six men who wronged him. Authorities immediately swore out a warrant for the arrest of Waring, but he was cleared when they learned he had been shot through both hips and incapacitated the day before Sharp's murder. When Patrick Darby learned he was a suspect, he took matters into his own hands. He started to investigate Sharp's murder. When he traveled to Simpson County, he met Captain John Lowe, who shared, Beecham told him he planned to assassinate Solomon Sharp. The captain agreed to detail the admission in a letter he handed over to Patrick Darby to give to authorities in Frankfurt. Meanwhile, the night after the murder, Jeroboam Beecham made his way to Bloomfield, Kentucky, where he stayed in the home of a relative before traveling to Bardstown and on to Bowling Green, where he stayed with his brother-in-law before returning home to Simpson County on November 10th. Beecham and Anne planned to flee to Missouri that night, but that plan was foiled 
when a posse from Frankfurt arrived to arrest Beecham for the murder of Solomon Sharp. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Havey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Beecham was transported to Frankfurt, where he awaited Commonwealth attorney Charles Bibb's evidence against him. As Beecham waited for Bibb, his uncle, who was a state senator, used his political power to organize a strong defense team for Beecham that included former U.S. Senator John Pope. Charles Bibb's team ran into obstacles as they tried to make the case against Jeroboam Beecham. They said they could not match a knife taken from Beecham to the wound on Sharp's body. Investigators found a footprint near Solomon Sharp's house, but they could not match it to Beecham. A critical piece of evidence was lost by the posse. When they arrested Beecham, they took a bloody handkerchief from him. But somewhere in between Simpson County and Frankfurt, they lost it. All Bibb's team had was the testimony of Solomon Sharp's wife, Eliza. She acknowledged she could not see the killer's face because he wore a mask. But she would never forget the voice that she described as distinctly high-pitched. When investigators arranged for Eliza Sharp to hear Jeroboam Beecham speak, she immediately identified the voice as the voice of her husband's killer. Eliza Sharp's testimony led to Beecham's indictment for the murder of Solomon Sharp. Beecham maintained his innocence when his trial started on May 8, 1826. Captain Lowe testified and shared what he told Patrick Darby, that Beecham openly shared of his plot to murder Solomon Sharp. He also claimed when Beecham returned home after Sharp's murder, he openly declared he had gained the victory. The day he testified, Lowe turned over to the courts a letter from the Beechams, in which Jeroboam said he was innocent and explained to Captain Lowe that political enemies were plotting against him and he needed Captain Lowe to testify on his behalf. The Beechams went so far as to include talking points Lowe should mention if he was called to testify. Some of them were true, and some of them were outright lies. Eliza Sharp took the stand and testified she would never forget the voice of the man who murdered her husband, and the murderer's voice was Jeroboam Beecham's. 
During the trial, a few people were called to speak to the relevance of the name John Covington, the name given when Sharp came to the door the night he was killed. Witnesses said Solomon Sharp and Jeroboam Beecham knew a man named John W. Covington, who Beecham often called John A. Covington. The killer identifying himself as John A. Covington was a common mistake on Jeroboam Beecham's part. The Beecham defense, led by John Pope, tried to discredit Patrick Darby, and the conflict surrounding Darby investigating a murder he was suspected of committing. Pope stressed Darby's association with the old courts and pressed that Solomon Sharp's murder was politically motivated. Beecham's trial lasted 13 days. The jury found Beecham guilty, and he was sentenced to death by hanging, with a hanging set for June 16, 1826. Anne Beecham was examined by two justices following her attempt to help entice Captain Lowe to commit perjury for the sake of her husband. She was also investigated as an accessory in the murder of Solomon Sharp. With no evidence of her involvement, Anne Cook was acquitted. Following her acquittal, Anne was permitted to stay in the jail cell with her husband while they awaited John Pope's request to have the verdict overturned. The request was denied. The judge did grant a stay of execution until July 7th to allow Jeroboam Beecham the time he needed to produce a written record of his actions, known as the Confession of Jeroboam Beecham. In his confession, Beecham justified the murder of Solomon Sharp as defense of his wife's honor and detailed how he committed the murder. Anne Cook helped her husband write the confession in the hope that their self-described romantic love story would inspire the governor to commute Beecham's sentence. No publisher agreed to publish the confession because of the Beecham's libelous claims that prosecution witnesses committed perjury to secure his conviction. Realizing Jeroboam's execution would not be stayed, the Beecham's attempted to bribe a guard to allow them to escape, but the guard refused. Then, they decided to commit suicide together. They wrote detailed instructions for their burial, then drank laudanum, which Anne had smuggled into the jail, concealed in her bosom. Their efforts were in vain. They both lived. Still, Anne Cook was allowed to remain in the cell with Beecham until his execution date, two days later. That morning, Anne asked the guard to give her privacy as she dressed. When the guard turned away, Anne again attempted to overdose on laudanum. She wasn't able to keep it down. Anne had also smuggled a knife into the cell, and the couple attempted double suicide by stabbing themselves. When the guard finally returned to his watch, he was able to take the knife from them and get Anne to a doctor to tend to her wounds. Jeroboam Beecham was weakened by his wounds, 
But the jailer was determined, no matter what, Beecham would hang. He was loaded on a cart to be taken to the gallows to hang before he bled to death. Beecham cried out that he wanted to see his wife before she died, but doctors told him Anne was not severely injured. She would make a full recovery. Beecham protested, saying not being allowed to see his wife was cruel on the day he was set to die. The guards relented and took him to see Anne. Anne was too weak to speak. Jeroboam remained by her side until he could no longer feel her pulse. He kissed her lips and said, For you I lived, for you I die. The guards immediately transported Jeroboam Beecham to the gallows. Having lost so much blood, he was too weak to stand on his own. He was held upright by two men as the noose was tied around his neck. 5,000 spectators watched Jeroboam Beecham's execution, which was the first legal hanging in Kentucky history. The bodies of Jeroboam and Ann Beecham were released to Jeroboam's father for burial. He honored their request that they be buried in a single coffin, locked in an embrace. A month before Jeroboam Beecham's execution, Anne wrote the couple's epitaph, which is inscribed on a large stone, marking their grave. It reads, In tomb below in others' arms, the husband and the wife repose, safe from life's never-ending storms, and safe from all their cruel foes. A child of evil fate she lived, a villain's wiles her peace had crossed. The husband of her heart revived, the happiness she long had lost. He heard her tell of matchless woe, and burning for revenge he rose, and laid her base seducer low, and struck dismay to virtue's foes. Reader, if honor's generous blood e'er warmed thy breast, here drop a tear, and let the sympathetic flood deep in thy mind its treasures bear. A father or a mother thou, thy daughter view in grief's despair. Then turn and see the villain low, and here let fall the grateful tear. A brother or a sister thou, dishonored see this sister dear. Then turn and see the villain low, and here let fall the grateful tear. Daughter of virtue, moist thy tear, this tomb of love and honor claim. For thy defense, the husband here laid down in youth his life and fame. His wife disdained a life forlorn without her heart's loved, honored Lord. Then, reader, hear the fortunes mourn, who for their love their life blood poured. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. The Confession of Jeroboam Beecham was published in 1826. The following year, Solomon Sharp's brother, Dr. Leander Sharp, wrote the vindication of the character of the late Colonel Solomon Sharp. 
Dr. Sharp hoped to defend his brother from the allegations made in Beecham's confession. The book was never published because Patrick Darby threatened to sue Dr. Sharp if published, and John Waring threatened to kill Dr. Sharp if vindication was made public. Dr. Sharp backed down, and it was believed he burned his copies of the work. But he hid copies in the wall of the Sharp home in Frankfurt. They were discovered years later, when the home was remodeled. The motivation for the murder of Solomon Sharp is debated to this day. The confession of Beecham was the popularized and romanticized version of the murder, an honor killing for Anne Cook. But supporters of the new court believed Beecham had been inspired to murder Solomon Sharp by members of the old court party so they could remove a political enemy. Even Solomon Sharp's widow, Eliza, believed this. In 1826, Eliza wrote that she referred to Patrick Darby as the chief instigator of the foul murder which deprived her of all her heart held dear on earth. Despite this, the public and now historical narrative around the Kentucky tragedy focused on Beecham's act of chivalry when he murdered Sharp to avenge his wife's public humiliation. This played into the public's obsession with romanticism in the 19th century. American writers often look to events in history to inspire their works themed around romance and chivalry. The Kentucky tragedy inspired many works of fiction, including Charles Fenno Hoffman's novel, Grayslayer, Edgar Allan Poe's unfinished play, Politian, and Robert Penn Warren's novel, World Enough and Time. Literary experts have noted the Kentucky tragedy became a popular theme in the 19th century because Beecham's confession referred to Sharp's murder being a necessary response to the code of protection of family and female virtue in the South. The tragedy fascinated writers because Anne Cook took things a step further. The unwritten code of Southern conduct said a woman could not avenge a wrong committed against her. A man had to do that. When Anne's reputation was ruined and Solomon Sharp emerged from the scandal with his reputation intact, Anne Cook used her power to persuade Jeroboam Beecham to avenge the wrong committed against her, making the Kentucky tragedy a legendary and unique chapter in American history. You can find a link to read the confession of Jeroboam Beecham, along with the sources for this episode, in the show notes at southernmysteries.com. If you enjoyed this episode and enjoy Southern Mysteries, you can help spread the word by rating and reviewing the show where you're listening. And remember, you can hear more stories like this when you join me on Patreon. There's a link to learn more and join today in the show notes where you're listening or just search Southern Mysteries at patreon.com. However you support the show, whether it is becoming a patron or just sharing an episode with a friend, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.